If you've been listening to my show for a while, you know how I like to talk about a gut biome test. I call it a fancy poop test. It's a fancy name for a poop test. And it's going to tell us what the ecosystem is in your gut. And why that's important is since food's the best medicine, it's going to tell us, here are your superfoods just for you to eat. Here are the foods for you to avoid. And here's everything else. Eat this a lot. Eat this a little. Now, my team has been very busy and they got an amazing deal. For anybody that wants to do this test, you can do it at home. You don't need a doctor's orders. All you have to do is just go to Viome, V as in Victor, I-O-M as in Mary, E.com, Viome.com. And at checkout, use the secret code, Julie Ryan, and you'll get more than 50% off. Don't put any spaces in there, just Julie Ryan. It's an amazing test. It's going to give you tons of information. I've done it several times myself, and you're going to be thrilled with the information you get because it'll give you a program just for you. Give it a whirl. Julie Ryan, noted psychic and medical intuitive, is ready to answer your personal questions, even those you never knew you could ask. For more than 25 years, as she developed and refined her intuitive skills, Julie used her knowledge as a successful inventor and businesswoman to help others. Now, she wants to help you to grow, heal, and get the answers you've been longing to hear. Do you have a question for someone who's transitioned? Do you have a medical issue? What about your pet's health or behavior? Perhaps you have a loved one who's close to death and you'd like to know what's happening. Are you on the path to fulfill your life's purpose? No matter where you are in the world, take a journey to the other side and ask Julie Ryan. everybody. Welcome to the Ask Julie Ryan Show. I'm Julie, your host, and I'm so delighted you could join us this week. My intention in doing this show is to provide information, insight, and comfort to people all over the world by helping to answer life's unanswerable questions. And I have such a wonderful treat for you guys this week. I've got Gary Temple Bodley with us. So Gary, welcome. Hi, Julie. Thanks for having me. You are most welcome. I met Gary, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, Gary, nine or 10 years ago, something like that. Right at the beginning ago. of yeah. Joshua. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. And and he's an unlikely woo-woo guy like I am, because <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you more about him. But he was a very successful businessman who now is doing woo-woo most of the time like I am. And so it's fun for me, Gary, when I get to talk to people and introduce people like you to my listeners, because it lets everybody know that you don't need to grow up chanting under crystals in a yurk in order for us to integrate this woo-woo stuff, you know, into our lives and really better our lives from it. You have been so instrumental in a lot of what I do. You and I have bounced ideas back and forth over the years. And, and I hope I've given you as many ideas as you've given me. So for that, I am eternally grateful. And I'm also very grateful because two of my now best friends, you introduced me to Deborah, Joe and Janine. Yeah. And, and I, I just adore them. And I met them through you. You guys are like the Florida posse, although you're in North Carolina now, Yeah, but you were the Florida posse before. All right. So everybody, let me tell you a little bit about Gary. Gary Temple Bodley is an author, a speaker, a channeler, and the host of the popular podcast, Joshua Live. 
He's been channeling Joshua, a group of non-physical teachers for nine years. In that time, he's written five books, hundreds of articles, hosted dozens of live events and retreats, some of which I've attended, and produced over 400 episodes of Joshua Live. As one of the world's leading channels, Gary's brought Joshua's teachings to millions of people all over the world. And these teachings are built on a radically new premise. Everything is right. There is no wrong anywhere in the universe. So Gary, where do, where do we start? Who exactly, who or what exactly is Joshua? Well, I, it all started when I, when I had this huge inspiration to start meditating. And I've always resisted meditation up until that point. And I thought it was really woo-woo. But then Jerry Seinfeld was meditating and a whole bunch of other people. It just all came to me. And so I said, okay, I'll sit down and do the Abraham meditations, which are guided. And so I started doing those. And you know, I could only get through two minutes or so in the first few times I did it. And then I was getting into this rhythm where I could do the whole 15 minutes. And then I started to feel a presence inside my head. And I thought it was just, you know, what normal people experience when they meditate. But I started to ask it questions because it was such an obvious presence. What did and it feel like? Can you describe like, what it felt like? Yeah, a very intense, tingly feeling that was comforting, not scary. And it moved around my head. So it it literally moves, you know, slowly, but would, you know, come up the front. I always start on the right side of my jaw and then move to the top of my head. And it was, you know, I, I researched it. I couldn't find anyone else who was having the same sensations. But then for some reason, I started to ask questions like I was in the hot seat with Abraham. And I got these answers back that were so profound, they couldn't have been just my thoughts. So it was a radical departure of, of what I'd normally thought I was thinking. And I didn't tell anyone because the last thing I wanted to do was be abnormal or weird in any way. My whole life was designed to be as normal as possible. <laughs> you know? And here this thing comes and, you know, luckily I had Deborah Joe and Lily and I had a bunch of friends who were into Abraham. So I could talk to them about it, but not to my normal friends. Um, <clears throat> and then on November 15th, 2013, they said, get up and go right, right, right. So I got up out of my bed while I was meditating and went to my office and in my house and closed the door, turned on my computer and just started typing. And that day I typed out three pages in half an hour. And I only type with two fingers, right? And I got to look at the keyboard. So I'm not a normal fast typer, but this just came through. And when it came through, I thought it was mumbo jumbo. It didn't make any sense to me. But when I read it back, it was like, oh my God, this is incredible. And just so happens Deborah Joe and Frank came to dinner that night. So after dinner, I gave Deborah Joe the three pages and she read them and started crying. And, and that became the introduction to Joshua's first book, A Perception of Reality. And then the next day I went back and did another half hour, 45 minutes. And in eight, exactly eight weeks, this 300 page book was finished. Then the next day after that, um, the next book started eight weeks later, that book. So in 16 weeks, I had two books. I'd never written anything like that before. And I have these two two big books, and now those books, there's five of them all together, but the books are, are you know, around the world and everyone's reading them. Uh, we just did the audio book for A Perception of Reality, which was narrated by Jackie Seiden, who's, um, she's, you know, an actress in Hollywood, and her husband was the director of Modern Family. So this whole community has, you know, sprung up around it. It's just amazing what's happened in nine years. 
it's like the last nine years have been more experiences than the previous 50 years put together. Right. So what exactly is Joshua? Joshua is a group of non-physical teachers. They explain it like this. Imagine there's a boardroom. There's 10 people around the boardroom and they're all working on one book. And there's this person taking dictation. So I'm the dictator person taking dictation. And they said, okay, now imagine it's the theater and the whole, all the audience is filled. And those people are contributing to this book at the same time. Now imagine it's an arena, like a basketball arena and the whole 20,000 people there. Now imagine it's the stadium. Now imagine it's every stadium on earth. That's all how big it is, you know? So there, there's all this consciousness and the non-physical working together to come through me. And in the first, it was just by writing, but now, you know, a couple of years after that, I started, I got hypnotized by, um, by someone and, and then it came through verbally. So now it's mostly verbal and and that's the podcast. Yeah. I knew you before it came through verbally. That's right. And yeah, (laughs) yeah. It's been fun to watch it all unfold. And for me, Joshua's part of spirit. Here's how I explain it. We're all part of spirit. We're all part of big spirit. We're like a drop of water. We get dropped into the ocean. We become the ocean. So the oceans are part of water. All water is all the same. It just looks different in different places, but it's all water and water's energy, which is all part of spirit. So we get it distilled down. And my understanding, see if you concur with this Larry, Larry, Gary (laughs) is, um, is that when we're talking to an individual spirit, like my spirit guides, a dead Pope, Pope Clement, the sixth, that's how spirits coming through so that I can have an understanding of it in my human frame of reference. Same with Joshua. Joshua is funneling energy and intelligence down into Joshua in one form. And so we, it's easier for us to try and understand it in our human minds. Does that make sense? It's just a name that, and a, um, a way of doing it that I resonate with because, you know, I had experience with Abraham. So it's very similar to how Abraham works. Abraham, same thing. And, and it's flowing. So it's never, you know, the same group. It's, depends on who I'm talking to and who's, you know, we do the podcast and there might be a hundred people on the call and those, all the inner beings or inner selves of those people are part of Joshua and each person's asking a question. And so it's interesting how you'll hear people say, you know, they answered my question. I didn't even ask the question. And then this is exactly what I was thinking about. And, and someone else asked the question and that was my question. Yeah. I get that all the time from my show too. Yeah, People say they listen to my show and somebody will call in and they'll have a question and they'll say, oh my gosh, that's exactly what's going on in my life. And I got that answer back. So that's a really good explanation of that. How would you describe that we're all part of source? Well, it's everything is source. So every tree and animal and building and every physical thing, we perceive vibrations as physical things, but it's all the vibration of source. So in that respect, everything is love because the source is love. And so every creation on earth or in physical reality is a creation based in love. But the human gets to experience that. So you could say a gun is an is a uh, manifestation of, of love, 
but how the individual relates to the gun could be positive or negative based on their judgment of it. And every single thing is like that. So you get to choose how you want to relate to anything in physical reality. And in fact, how you relate to it is exactly where your vibration is. So if you see something as perfect, you're at a very high vibration. If you see something as flawed, you're a little bit in fear of whatever it is. Well, we're going to talk more about that. I've got some questions for you along those lines. And uh, I hope to get into that in depth because it's, it's really interesting. It's a different way that Joshua presents it. It resonates with me, but it doesn't with most people because it goes against how we were trained and how we were raised. How we were basically what we should say is how we were programmed. And the, the way you can know how you're programmed is simply, simply, you know, your accent, the foods you like, the beliefs that you have, the religion you choose. You know, if you were born in Alabama, you probably are going to be one religion compared to if you were born in Israel or somewhere else. And you just adopt these beliefs as if they're true. But what if you questioned every belief and said, that's either limiting or empowering. And if that belief is limiting me, then why do I need to hold on to it? In fact, I can prove that that limiting belief is false because all limiting beliefs are false. And this is a much uh, more conscious way of existing in life is to question all these beliefs so that we can sort of soften the limiting beliefs and maybe create a mental construct that is more open and free and, and uh, abundant. Right. And allowing. Absolutely. Because when we try and control things, we limit what the outcome can be because we've got a certain picture in our minds of how it's going to unfold. Well, who's to say that there aren't many other ways that can come into play that can make it even more fabulous than what we've envisioned? The fact is we exist at a limited perspective compared to the non-physical. We don't have all the information. And when we try to exert control or pressure on anything to, you know, affect an outcome, that outcome is always based in this limited perspective. You don't have enough information. And the whole idea behind Joshua is that we want to soften all these preferences and desires and outcomes and ideals and get to a more neutral place of allowing or accepting. And from there, we all have access to source consciousness and we receive inspiration. The inspiration will always trigger some fear, but if we can push past that fear and take some action, that will lead us to what we actually want, what we truly want. We don't know what we truly want. We think we know what we want, but everything that we want is based in the lack of. So you think you want a million dollars to feel secure. The reason you want that money is you don't feel secure now. You think that's going to solve the problem when, in fact, the problem never exists. You're fully abundant. You just can't see it. So if we let go of these things, then we can just act on inspiration. And the inspiration will always lead us on our journey of self-discovery, which is our you know, primary intention for being here. Well, which is a great lead in because I know you were a very successful businessman. You had several different companies. You were very involved in real estate and real estate investing and tell everybody that story. And before you get into that, did you grow up in a religious or a spiritual home? Is this something you were programmed for from the cradle? Not at all. Now, I can see how my life was you know, designed perfectly to lead me here, but the interesting thing, I was born in South Africa, and then we moved to Canada when I was two, and we moved around a lot. So I was never in the same house for a very long time, never in the same school. I made friends quickly and then let them go because there was no way to hold on to them. We didn't have the internet back there. there no, you know, you have to write letters, which we never did. So I have this whole, you know, my parents got divorced. I stayed with my dad. My mom went to New York. 
you know, all this stuff that happened was me wanting to assimilate as much as possible. My biggest fear in life was rejection, which is, of course, a lot of people's fear. But for me, it was very intense. I'm also highly emotional. So I really felt things, especially rejection or loss or failure. And this sort of led me to create these businesses because I thought, hey, if I was successful, people would accept me. So I, you know, efforted and struggled and created all these businesses and made a lot of money, but it was but it was never enough. So I would have, keep, you know, keep pushing and pushing and do more and go out, extend myself more. And, you know, and of course, when the financial crisis happened, I lost everything and then had to, you know, lost all my companies, houses and everything. And then I had to start over. The first thing that happened was Deborah Joe gave us the secret. Then we found Abraham. Then we started going to Abraham events. And then I started to do what my passion was. And then that led to meditation nine years ago. And because I had started living more freely in joy and, and my vibration had risen because of Abraham, then this natural ability was available. Had this happened while I was successful, I would never have done it because why would you? I thought that making money was the only good thing to do. The more, the better. And that was status and all this. But now I realized the best thing that ever happened to me was that losing everything because that allowed me to give up trying to chase the carrot on the end of the stick. Once I gave up trying to chase the carrot on the end of the stick, I just acted on inspiration. And that led me to flipping houses on my own, which was so much fun. And I did it in such a high vibrational way. And it's the thing that I always wanted to do that I would occasionally allow myself to do, but now is doing it full time. And I discovered poker which was a huge passion of mine and, and had so much fun with that. So my life before Joshua came was like totally just absorbed with my passions, literally the same thing. And then it opened up the space where Joshua would come in totally unbeknownst to me. And in fact, had I, could I have, you know, if I had foreseen the life I'm living now, it would be so weird from that old perspective, from the old person I was that I wouldn't even have wanted it. But now I have everything I want. You know, I have this perfect life and I see this perfect. And it is just so far beyond anything I could have possibly imagined. And this is what's available to all of us, to everyone. Once you give up, you know, that old approach to life of you know, trying to control things, trying to make things happen, efforting and struggling, all the discontent, dissatisfaction and suffering that goes along with that. And once you learn how the system actually works and who you truly are, then you are free of that. And, and then when you start acting on inspiration, it just leads you one thing after the next, after the next to these experiences you could never have imagined. So when you were going through losing everything, I'm sure that just felt like one catastrophe after the next. And was there something that you did to help you walk through that before you got to the end of it before you started meditating and all of that, how did you navigate those rough waters when you were in the middle of them? Well, what I've learned now and what I realized about going through that time was that you have all the equipment you need or all the tools you need to go through anything in your life. You can't go any, go through anything if you're not equipped for it. I didn't consciously know I had the tools, but what I knew was, this unbelievable feeling of relief fell, fell over me. When I lost everything, it's like, now I didn't have to prop everything. You know, I was like the guy spinning the plates on the end of those sticks and keeping them all up in the air. Now I didn't have to do that. 
I didn't have to worry about my employees. I didn't have to worry about paying the hundred thousand dollars of bills every month. You know, hundred thousand. That's what my it was at least a hundred thousand, maybe more than that. I had a twenty-seven unit townhouse under construction, development under construction, uh, one point five million dollar house we were building on the water, land that we were trying to sell, and then four big businesses with all the employees. Didn't have to do that anymore. So the feeling was relief. Now I have all this time that I didn't have before and I can start focusing on me. And somehow we had all the money we needed, even though we lost everything. We had lots of time. We had lots of friends. It was, we, I had to get, I gave up that whole persona of having to be this, you know, successful guy. And I could just be me. Once I became me, then things just started falling on my lap. Easy, easy, easy. You know, you know, it was the time, it was the perfect time to renovate houses. People were throwing money at me to invest with them and you know help them do this. <clears throat> Excuse me. And life was just so much easier and more enjoyable. And I had kidded myself the pre- prior, you know, 30 years of being in business that what I was doing was actually making an impact, but it wasn't. It was just effort and struggle. Well, and you lived in Palm Beach. I mean, you know, that's one of the capitals of the world of the rich and famous, for heaven's sake. So you were talking about keeping up with the Joneses. You were in the middle of all of that. And and I think we don't even understand when we're in the middle of that, really how we get swept up in that current. And we we just don't even think about it. I know when I lived in, in Los Angeles for a long time, people in other parts of the country who were living wonderful lives for a fraction of the cost were saying, why do you live there? And I said, yeah. well, because it's so fabulous. Blah, 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 blah. And the weather's so great. They go, really? It's worth paying 10 times more for a home because you have good weather. And I said, well, I need a lot of sun. Well, there are other places that have a lot of sun and, and you get caught up in that whole well, this is how it is. And this is how everybody else lives. And then you go on a trip someplace and you're thinking, okay, gas is $2 less a gallon. Now this is back in the the 2000s. Gas is less than $2 less a gallon in Ohio when I go to visit my family and I'd say, what's up with that? What was all the taxes that they had tacked onto the gas in Los Angeles? So I completely understand what you were going through. But it doesn't matter. Even if you were, uh, you know, were a school teacher. You get wrapped up in that institution, right. what they want you to do. You know somehow that it's not right for you, um, but you think, well, I have to have a job and I have to do this. And uh, this is the cards I was dealt. So I'm, I'm unsatisfied, but I can't think of anything else. Only because your perception of reality is based in this, this illusion that things are wrong or bad as they are now. And this keeps you from being in that state of allowing. And that... When you do get inspiration, it conflicts with this life that you have, and so you discount it. So what these teachings are is understanding that the approach to life that we're taught of, you know, going out and making it and having a job and doing all these things, and, you know, it it is adverse to your journey of self-discovery. Nothing wrong with it. It's just going to bring up manifestation events and conflicts and arguments and dissatisfaction. Once you get in line with why you're here in the first place, this journey of self-discovery, then everything gets easier. Everything gets more fun. 
people come into your life. All this stuff happens, you know, new careers present themselves or new opportunities present themselves. This is how it works, but no one teaches that. Absolutely. I have lots of people, both clients and people that call into my show and they say, what's my life's purpose? And I say, it's not like we come in with a roadmap. Okay, you go here and you do this, and then you go here and you do that. We create it as we go and our thoughts create our reality. And so it's going to unfold as you go and you pay attention. How does it feel? It feels bad. Pay attention to, is this a real fear? Is this a fake fear? Because anything that feels badly is based in fear. Anything that feels neutral or good, you're in alignment. Take a step forward. And that's the big thing I think that people have have discovered with this whole secret when that book was released. What was it in the 80s or 90s? I don't even remember when it was released. And I'll still have people say to me, I do these affirmations and I wrote down what my goals were and all of that and nothing's happening. And I think the thing that the secret, which really prepped everybody for manifestation, how can we manifest? They did a great job, but it was like the first step. You got to take action. Prince Charming is not going to come to your front door and ring your doorbell and ask you to marry him. It's, you know, whatever that you're, you may win the lottery, probably you won't, but you may, but are you going to sit at home and never play the lottery and even take the opportunity to have a chance? And that's where I've seen the disconnect. Would you agree with that? The disconnect is on one thing, your impression that things could be wrong or bad. That's it. The opening line of Joshua's first book is, everything is right. There is no wrong anywhere in the universe. Anything seen as wrong comes from a limited perspective. From the higher perspective, everything is always, always right. And so we've been taught to believe in this myth of imperfection. And if you believe in imperfection, what you're really doing is you're living in the state of duality. Good, bad, right, wrong, better, worse. From that perspective, perfection is not possible. You can, where you are is not good enough. Who you are is not good enough because you can always improve. Um, Who other people are, are not good enough. And nothing will ever satisfy you. It's not possible because you can always, no matter where you get, you can always think something's better. You, if you realize that that's, that's the issue, that's the only problem your perception of reality. And and if you came to this new perception of reality where you understood, no, for your life, the life you're living, your journey that you're on, yourself, everything, everything in your entire reality is perfect as it is. In fact, nothing can improve. It can expand, but nothing can improve because where you are today is perfect for you today. Where I was when I lost everything was perfect for me on that day. I couldn't see it at the time. Now I can, now it's obvious. Because if that didn't happen, I wouldn't be here now. And it's not to say that my life was anything other than pure joy. It was that I was in resistance to how perfect it was. Now that I see the perfection of my entire life, which took me until last year, really, I came to this conclusion, this aha moment, oh my God, my life has been perfect the whole time. Even when I was going through events that were distressing, those events led me step by step to where I am now and created this, you know, belief system that allowed me to get here without those events. For instance, I was six years old. We're living in Vancouver. We, maybe I was five. We walked to the grocery store. 
my mom, my brother, and I, my brother's in a baby carriage, and I get lost in the storm. <clears throat> so I find the manager, and he's like calling for my mom, and they're on loudspeaker and everything. And after 20 minutes, he goes, sorry, kid, your mom's not, not here or not answering. So I'm like, okay, I'll just walk home. You know, back in the 60s, they had no problem with that. <laughs> so I, here I am, a five or six-year-old kid, trying to figure out how where my house is. So we walk there, and I'm I'm walking home, and then I see my mom, you know, two blocks up. And so I run up, and she's like, "Hey, where have you been?" You know, this gave me this belief that nobody cares about me. So then that set forth all the desires that I wanted, and the way that I was, and the way I was being. It also allowed when my mom and dad got divorced and my mom moved away, it allowed me to be okay with that, you know, because she didn't care anyway. So it, and then I had all this freedom after that. So at the time when going through it, it's devastating, but it's only because I was in, I didn't understand that this is all leading me to everything I truly want. When you come to that epiphany, then you're absolutely set free. When you realize that if an event is happening, it's always happening for you. It's never, it cannot happen to you. It's always, no matter what it is, it's always happening for your benefit and growth. Well, and that makes most people's heads explode, that statement and that kind of thinking, because it's so opposite of what we've been taught and how we've been raised. But not your audience, not my audience. No, no. They, they intellectually say, okay, there's a possibility that I can look at something from a higher perspective. I will probably feel bad about it, but in retrospect, I've got, you know, everyone had their first breakup. They wouldn't want to be with that person, 99% of them right now. They felt terrible at the time, but that led them to the eventual person they're with now. So, so we look back on our life and we say, okay, all these events, even though we were resisting them at the time, they were actually perfect. We could have gone through them with more ease had we known what was going to happen. But we didn't know what was going to happen. We were in fear. We figured, oh, no one's going to ever date me again, which was ridiculous. But if you can say, well, that happened back then and everything worked out fine. So what's happening now is also preparing me for what's going to happen. So I don't have to be in such resistance to it. And I can look at it from the higher perspective and say, okay, well, maybe this is right. How could this possibly be right? No one asked that question. How could this event actually be for my benefit? If you just ask that simple question, the answer will come to you. Right, right. When you channel Joshua, what do you do to bring Joshua in? What's your, what's your technique? What's your, what do you do to to bring Joshua in? Do you flip a switch or what do you do? I meditate sometime during the day. And then right before I close my eyes, I see this light coming down on my head. Um, I see myself in space, floating in space, and then bringing in all the entities that want to communicate. And the, and that, that's, that whole group is called Joshua. But it's different every time. So if I'm talking to you, your inner self, who's here right now, will be speaking through me with everyone else as well. Then I set my intentions while my eyes are closed. And I intend to be clear, to push past fear, go with the flow, to be, you know, to uh, to embrace new information 
And mostly it is me pushing past my fear to let the thoughts come through and then speak the thoughts. But it's not like I'm uh, in a trance or anything. It's, uh, it's like holding on to a thread. And at any time you can let go of that thread. You know? So anytime I can open my eyes and I mean, I open my eyes while I'm doing it, but anytime I could say, oh, we're done. That, you know, that sort of thing. Well, when you were talking earlier about when you first started meditating and Joshua came into your head and it felt like somebody was moving around in your head, that's that's what those of us that are mothers that have birth babies, that's what the fetus feels like mm. inside our our bodies. And, mm. and it's like, oh my God, I got an alien in there. And well, yeah, you do. <laughs> and, you know what it is. And, it's, <laughs> and it starts I, when, when I, I've only had one child, Jonathan, but but when I early on in my pregnancy, I was going through it with one of my best friends, Patty, who was ended up delivering exactly a week before I had Jonathan. And she said, does it kind of feel like there's a butterfly in there flying around? And that was at about maybe three months, four months pregnant. And I said, yeah. She said, well, that's the baby. And then, of course, they're doing somersaults and kicking and doing stuff like that. We went to Mexico Oh, probably about three weeks before I had him, he came early. And it was so funny, Gare, when we were in the, the cantina and the Mexican, you know, the Mexican music playing, the Latin music playing, that baby was dancing inside my stomach. And so we went with friends and we just all sat there and watched him roll around. We'd see a foot kick out and a fist. And even to this day, he loves music. He goes to multiple concerts a week. He lives in LA. So that's a great place for him. With yeah. the music, but it was just hilarious. And that made me think of it when you were talking about that you could feel something in your head. The last time I was with you when you were channeling Joshua, I was at one of your retreats. You probably don't remember this. And I and I was walking to the front of the room and you and I were going to have a conversation with and Joshua was was you were channeling Joshua at the time. And as I was walking up, Joshua said, I feel like we're going to be talking to ourselves. And it was hilarious. And, and Joshua is, I find, very succinct. The information that Joshua brings forward through you is very applicable. I find that sometimes channels, it's very esoteric. And I just think, well, what the heck am I supposed to do with that? Exactly. Whereas Joshua is very easy to apply the principles that they teach. And I find that Joshua at times is really funny which makes it fun. And I've heard Joshua say that spirit is pure love and joy. Pure joy. And yep. you're supposed to have fun doing this. I find that some of my, some of our colleagues in this woo-woo space are so serious about all this stuff. And they, I've even had some of them say to me, you're so flippant and you're so, you know, you seem like you're having so much fun and this is very serious. Like, oh, well, it's love. It's spirit. You're supposed to have fun. It's supposed to be joyful. Yes. And and I, I truly believe that. And I feel that. And I know you do, too. So I have questions for Joshua. Can we can we uh, get Joshua on the line? Yeah, let's call him up. All right. So I'm going to close my eyes. I start breathing. I'll start rocking a little bit. And then they'll come through and they'll say, we're thrilled to be here. That's their opening line. And then they may talk a few minutes and then and then they'll say, you know, whatever you want to talk about, let's talk about, and then go from there. Perfect. All right, here we go. Most of us have busy lives and 
We know that we're not getting the nutrients and the vitamins and the minerals that we need. So I'm always looking for easy ways to ingest them. I found one, it's called Beam Minerals. And what I find is that most of us don't get enough potassium, magnesium, and calcium. Those are the big three. And so what Beam Minerals does is it's put all these minerals in a liquid form that's easy to drink because it tastes like water. It's got all these important minerals and a whole bunch of other ones. And I find that they're really helpful. They save me time. They're easy to take. And I suggest that you give them a try. Go to Beam Minerals, B as in boy, E-A-M, minerals, plural, dot com, and use the code Julie Ryan, altogether, no space, at checkout, and you'll get 20% off your order. That's Beam Minerals, B-E-A-M, minerals.com and use Julie Ryan at checkout and you'll get a 20% discount. Give it a try and let me know what you think. We're thrilled to be here. When we said that it felt like we were talking to ourselves, it's because you, Julie, are so connected to yourself and you are a channel and you are able to bring forth ideas and thoughts you think it's normal. You think everyone's doing the same thing. But the thoughts that are coming to you are inspired, and you are confident enough to act on that inspiration and to say what you want to say. Other people are also doing the same thing, but their doubts and fears prevent them from seeing that the thoughts that they're retrieving are thoughts based in love or based in fear, depending on where they are. If someone is in a bad mood, if they're honorary, if they're having a fight or an argument, they're going to be connected to that stream of consciousness of fear. And they're going to bring up urges and desires, which will feel like work and struggle and effort to change or control conditions. So whatever state of being that you're in will indicate the quality of thoughts that you're receiving. If you're fighting against something, if you think something's wrong, if you think something's bad, if you think you're wrong or unworthy or whatever, you're going to be more likely to be connected to that stream of consciousness of fear and bring up urges to change or control conditions. However, when you get to a level of acceptance, you are then connected to source consciousness. You're connected to your inner self. And all the thoughts are fun and interesting and and aha moments. And when you're with someone who's in alignment as well, the, the conversation's flowing, there's no gap in thought. Those thoughts are coming from your inner self and they're perfectly designed for the conversation you're having. So when people are, are in alignment, when they're having fun, when they're not in fear, they are channeling or connected so closely to their inner self that the thoughts coming from their inner selves are easily expressed. They're not thinking about words and don't have a lot of ums and ahs and pauses. It's flowing easily. You'll notice when people are in fear, they can't think of names. They can't think of places. They can't come up with ideas. They are stumbling around because of that fear is disconnecting them from the free flow of information. But if they're really upset, boy, they can shout expletives. They can punch walls. They can do all these things that are not aligned with who they truly are. So we come to teach that everything is perfect as it is. Everything that happens is happening for you. Nothing is ever happening to you. You're just perceiving that you need to effort and struggle control to get what you think is an ideal so that you'll finally be happy. But what you're doing is you're chasing the carrot on the end, end of the stick. 
you're never going to get there because no matter how much you manifest out of fear, trying to change conditions, it's always based in fear. And you'll never feel the way you thought you would feel once you manifest the thing you're manifesting. Once you create the thing that you're creating through effort and struggle, no matter how much money you make, no much, no matter how many things you do or things you accumulate, it's never going to give you the feeling you want. It's all because your approach to life is based in victimhood and duality. When you can shift that perception of yourself from the victim to the creator of your reality and soften all your desires and all your preferences and ideals and outcomes and just look around and say, what my reality is, is simply a reflection of my perception of myself. My perception of myself is my vibration. And that vibration is communicated to the universe. And the universe brings a perfect reflection to that vibration. So if I try and change the conditions, I'm just trying to change the mirror on the wall. What I need to do to make it a little bit more effective is to change that vibration. Well, how does one change the vibration? Well, people think, think positive thoughts, look at positive aspects. That's all wonderful, but it's only half of the job. The other half of the job is to look at everything you fear, everything you do not like, everything you think is wrong. All of that stuff is based in fear, based on limiting beliefs. You're trying to protect yourself from those things, so you call it wrong or bad. But if you ask yourself why those things are wrong or bad and realize it's just a limiting belief, it is not true. There is no wrong or bad. If a war is happening on the other side of the world, it's not wrong or bad. It's for the experience of those people. You can't see the outcome. You can't see what will come of this, but what will come of it is more love. More love is always being generated into this reality. But everyone gets to play around with these things. And if they're in fear, they can play around with things in fear. This is expansive. And this expansive experience leads to more love over time. It's the evolution of love. But you have to sift and sort and play around with different things to discover who you are. Now, if you do that enough in a lifetime or enough in several lifetimes, you'll get to the point where you say, you know, I'm tired of efforting and struggling and trying to change con conditions and control people and control myself. It's never worked before. It's never worked once. What would be a better way? And once the person asks, what would be a better way? Better way? How do I approach life differently? How do I understand myself more as who I truly am? Once you ask those questions, you'll be led on a journey, on a new trajectory to discover who you are. Part of that discovery is to realize that you've always been perfect. You were perfect the day you were born. You were perfect the day after you were born. You were perfect a week later. You were perfect a year later. When did you get imperfect? You've never gotten perfect. You were just told you were wrong or bad by other people who wanted to control your behavior in order to solve the problems of their negative emotion. But in fact, you were perfect every minute of your life, every moment of your life. You've always been perfect. You've never been imperfect at any time. If you come to the understanding that you were only taught that you were imperfect, you were only taught that you were not worthy. You were only taught that you were not enough by others who were in fear. That had no positive benefits because it created a system of perception of yourself as not enough, as unworthy, as not good, as imperfect. Perfection doesn't mean that everything's going to stay the same that you should just accept everything as it is. That's not what acceptance is. That is not where things are going. 
But to expand to new levels, you have to start with acceptance. Accept that this mirror in my reality is perfect. It's not a funhouse mirror showing me a different reality. It's a perfect mirror. Now, I don't need to change the mirror. If I look in the mirror and my hair color is not appropriate or my length of my hair, the mirror is not going to change. You go out and get a haircut and get your hair colored, come back, and now it's this accurate reflection of what you've done. You've taken action. And that action has led to a change. And the change is then reflected back to you. So the change that you're seeking is through action. Action that's inspired, not urges to control the conditions, but action that's inspired. That inspired idea, that inspired thought will always come with a little bit of fear. Because when you receive that inspired idea, you exist at this limited state. The action will move you to an expanded state. And with that expanded state, you'll gain more clarity about who you are. And that information that you gain through that expansion will fill in the old limiting beliefs. And you'll have a new reality based on that. And with that, we'd like to talk to you about anything you'd like to talk about. Where would you like to start? Well, that was fabulous. Thank you for that. That was like I, one of the things that I most love about your teaching is they're clear, they're succinct, and they're actionable. We can put them into practice right away. I have a whole bunch of questions for you. So my first question is, is there a difference between spirit and soul, or is it just semantics? Is there a difference between the drop in water and the ocean? You can label things and you can describe things. But that doesn't make it separate or different. It's just a way of communicating what it is. So in the non-physical, you exist fully connected to all that is. You don't feel the need or there's no benefit in separating yourself, nor could you separate yourself. So that implies that in physical reality, this feeling that you have as an individual is an illusion. You don't feel connected to everything in your reality and every person, but you are. Now, this feeling that you're individual, that you're disconnected, serves your journey of self-discovery. As you move along that journey to discover who you are, you feel more connected. As you realize the connection with other people is what you truly want, you connect more, you lean in more, you have more fulfilling relationships. But if you notice that if you're in an argument with somebody, you will dip into them, down in that consciousness of fear and you'll receive an urge to disconnect from them. So there is no disconnection. There is no separation. It's all illusion. In the non-physical, you identify as source, but also you can know that you're unique from all other consciousness on, in the universe. And you understand that your vibration in the non-physical is expanding as you come to know yourself more. So you come into physical reality because this is the only place to know yourself more. This is the only place where you can have what feels like an experience, a true experience. This is why you forget who you are. Once you return to the non-physical, you will know everyone you know in your life as you, as aspects of you. And you will know that there is no way to separate yourself from source. 
Well, and that leads to something that I get asked all the time, multiple times a week, normally when I'm talking with somebody who's lost a loved one and they'll say, well, who, what are they doing? Who's, who are they with? And, and then I'll, they'll tell me who they're with, the spirit with whom we're communicating. And, and the person will say, well, I don't know that person. I'll say, well, that doesn't mean that, that you, that doesn't mean anything, you know, they're with whoever they want to be with and they're with everybody all at the same time, which is hard for us to wrap our human minds around. So can you speak a little bit to that when, when we are in heaven, when we're in non-physical, what happens? Who do people hang out with their loved ones? You know, I know we live lots of lives. Are they with their loved ones from all their lifetimes? How's that work? First of all, the non-physical, which you might say is heaven, is not separate from the physical. The non-physical is not separate from earth. So all of your loved ones are with you all the time. And it's a non-physical presence. So if you were to think of a loved one, that loved one will be present in your thoughts right there, but also present in your physical reality. So around you, there are millions and millions of guides and supporters and loved ones, your soul family. You think that you don't know someone, but look at Gary. You and Gary have known each other eternally. You perceive that, oh, Gary's Gary and I'm me and we're separate. But in the non-physical, you know each other because you've been through eternity with each other. And this is true of every single person you know. Every single person could be the clerk at the store. You sort of recognize some people. When you meet certain people, they light up for you because you've had sort of a soul contract or a soul agreement to come and interact in this reality for purposes of of self-discovery and growth and expansion. So no one has ever died. No one has ever had a death experience. All they've ever had is a transition experience from this reality back to their non-physical home. No one's ever been born. They've just transitioned from the non-physical to the physical. No one can die. Everyone's eternal. When you have a relationship, say with a parent, and you interact based on a soul contract, so that parent is going to provide you with certain tools and limiting beliefs to set you up on your trajectory, just as you agreed to in the non-physical. And you came to play in past lives, you've been all kinds of different relationships, but this is the one you've chosen to do in this life. When that person transitions to the non-physical, their awareness is not dictated by time and space as it is in physical reality. Their awareness is infinite. And so they're with you and they're with everyone else. They're present with you and everyone else. And doing whatever they're doing, but there's not much going on in non-physical. This show is here. So everyone is focused here. What are you going to do with the non-physical? You can create anything in the snap of a finger. Who cares? There's nothing real. There's no real experience about that. There's You've known everyone for eternity. There's nothing new to talk about. There's no conference. You know everything. What are you going to talk about? There's nothing to talk about in the non-physical. So you come here, forget everything, and start all these new conversations. And with each new conversation, you open up new possibilities because your experience of this life has never been possible before. Your perspective in every moment of your life has never been possible before. So each perspective that you have opens up a new dimension of possibility. This is the great benefit of coming to physical reality, not just for yourself, but for all that is. For instance, 
We like to build temples, Roman, these big, beautiful Roman temples with columns in the non-physical and have these little scenarios that we play in your dreams. You may have been in these things in your dreams once before. We like to build these things. Now, they were not possible until people started building temples. They didn't exist. And so there was no possible way for us to create a temple that looks like a Roman temple until the Romans created the temples. So you see how you create here, then we can create it in the non-physical. But we can't create anything new in the non-physical because we don't have these desires that you have. We are sitting in neutrality. Everything's perfect. Everything's great. You sift and sort and say, oh, I'd like to build this mansion on the beach. You build this mansion and suddenly it's available for us to play around with in the non-physical. Everything is opening up from your experience. Everything that is created new based in your creation of it. You are the creators of the reality. Source created the universe. That's just a platform of physical reality. But that platform is for creation. And so humans are the creators. And all consciousness is creation to a certain extent. But the things you're creating could never have been made possible without your desires. So you serve the non-physical. And the non-physical is not separate. This is where we are. Well, I've heard you say that thoughts exist in the ethers and we pull them in based on what we're thinking about at any given moment. And I describe it like those thoughts are being broadcast on a radio station. You're listening to classic rock at 94.7. That's 94.7 megahertz. That the, that's the frequency on which those thoughts are being broadcast. So if we're creating, but, the, but nobody's ever had an original thought, how does that work? How do we how do we bring in thoughts that we haven't had before? For instance, I'm an inventor of orthopedic surgery devices sold throughout the world. I'm not an engineer. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nurse. I have a communications degree. I connected into that, had brought the ideas in, which is a form of channeling, and then took action and made it into a reality. So can you explain that whole process that process is this all thoughts that have ever been thought by humans before still exist they've been unlocked all thoughts that will ever be thought all creation all books all inventions exist as a possibility they are there we can't access access them from the non-physical because we have no need for them you have a need or a desire and so you become a vibrational match to that thought. You become, in essence, the path of least resistance. That idea is going to come through at some point. It came through you because you happened to reach that vibrational match. The thought came to you, and you had enough confidence and wherewithal to bring that, to take the actions you were inspired to take to bring that into reality. So that was channeled just like anything else. Gary had the inspiration to channel the books typed the words every day, did that action, published them, and there they were. Those thoughts had always existed, but it wasn't until humans asked those questions that those words were unlocked in the right order to form these books. The book existed in its form already. All Gary did was rise to the vibration of that, and without any intention or without any, any planning or goal setting or any of this, he became the path of least resistance for this intelligence to flow through him. Now he had to have a mental construct or a belief structure that said, 
I can do this and why not me? And this is fun and enjoyable and who knows where it's going to go. No big attachments to the outcomes, just in the moment, taking the action that he was inspired to take because it was fun. Well, and that's what I've done with a bunch of different companies in different industries. And I always tell people, I expect the people that I need to show up are going to show up right when I need them. And I expect the situation to be perfect when I get there. And I don't know where it's going to go. I'm just being led. And and so I just take another step. And that was long before I had even started studying. Whoa, whoa. I was doing that. And and I look back at it and I think, wow, I don't I don't know where I came up with the courage to do it, but I just did it. And well, you were designed to do it. You were yeah. designed to do what you're doing now. All those experiences made this experience easier. They right. led to that. No one cares about the inventions themselves. It was all the process of manifesting, the process of Feeling confident in alignment, receiving inspiration, having the ability to push past the little fear that came up, taking the action, leading to some outcome. Maybe you imagined the outcome. Maybe it was different than you imagined, but it was some outcome. It was fun and enjoyable and financially rewarding. It felt good, but this was all who you always were. It was this natural evolution. And that those inspirations provided step-by-step step to lead you where you are now. Now, without that, with, with a insecurity about who you are, the ideas would have come to you and you would have just kind of laughed at them. That's not for me. I'm not an inventor. I'm in communications. How could I possibly do that? And then this desire to learn how to communicate with the non-physical, you would have laughed at that. That doesn't make any sense. That's not for me. But that was your path. This is your path. This is the great benefit that you offer the world. This is the service that you step into. And notice that the service that you step into somehow uses all of your talents and attributes. You have all these talents and attributes, and they fit perfectly into what you're doing. Communication, confidence, poise, eloquence, all of these things fit perfectly for you. How did that work out? Well, that's what you designed in your life to be of service in your journey of self-discovery, utilizing all these talents that you chose to come in with. And this leads to the life of joy that you're experiencing now. Well, in the channeling thing about the books, the funny thing about that, when I was writing Angelic Attendance, I would write things and, and then later I'd go back and read them and I think, I have no memory writing that, but this is pretty good. <laughs> so I know that's what Gary experienced too when he was channeling the teachings of Joshua and all of his books. You say that we can be, have, and do anything. How does that work? Freedom and abundance are inherent aspects of physical reality. But your definitions of freedom and abundance are flawed. You define freedom as doing whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. The true definition of freedom is doing whatever you need to do when you need it to move along your journey of self-discovery. Abundance, having everything I want when I want it. The true definition of abundance is receiving everything you need when you need it to explore whatever you're choosing to explore. When you change those definitions from the flawed definitions that you have to the true definitions, then Inherent in everything is full abundance and full freedom. 
because you always have always gotten everything you need to do whatever you needed to do, not whatever you thought you wanted to do, which is based on a flawed ideal or attachment to an outcome or some man-made desire, but whatever you need to do for this journey of self-discovery. You cannot pick one moment of your life where you didn't have everything you needed, where you didn't weren't able to push past any fear to do whatever you were inspired to do. You were always able to do it. You always had everything you needed. Your life is fully abundant and free. You can be, do, and have anything you want to do in that moment. But you have to understand what what you want is a true desire, not a false desire. The true desire are your intentions you set prior to your birth. Express your love, experience true freedom and abundance, and expand in joy on your journey of self-discovery. That's the only thing you want. Everything else is based in lack and limitation. What you truly want, you get everything you need to go on that journey. Now, sometimes you need a car crash. Sometimes you need a divorce. Sometimes you need cancer because you're not paying attention to your journey of self-discovery. You're off chasing some ideal that was made out of a limited perspective. And so these manifestation events come to put you back on track or to get you out of the planet, whatever. But if you notice that when Gary, for instance, lost everything, that financial crisis seems like it was created just for him because he was off track. He needed to come on track to become who he is now. And had he not had that financial crisis or lost everything, he would have still be efforting and struggling, trying to chase these ideals that he thought he wanted. So the manifestation came to put him back on his true inspired path. And he would have said, that was wrong and bad. I wish that never happened while it was happening. But now he looks back and notices that was the perfect thing. It couldn't have been better. It had to happen exactly how it happened. And that there was no suffering that went through it other than his resistance to it because he always had everything needed. Always had a house, always had a car, always had food in the table, always had friends, always had everything needed on this journey of self-discovery. Well, what about the person who's homeless? That's their journey of self-discovery, not your journey. What about the person in the war? That's their journey of self-discovery, not your journey. Don't let other people's journeys influence your journey. Your journey, you have everything you need. You have all the talents. You have the body you need. You have the voice you need. You have the education you need. You have the intelligence. You have the access to intelligence you need. You have everything you need to do what you truly are inspired to do. And you're living proof of this. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I agree that I look back on my life and I think, whoa, it it has led me to every step of the way. And when my main spirit guide, Pope Clement the Sixth, came in, when he initially came in, he said exactly what you're saying, that everything in my life has led me to the place where I'm, you know, I'm here helping educate the world on what happens when somebody dies. And you've touched on that, that nobody really ever dies. And I teach that we all decide where we go, when we go, how we go, what the circumstances are that surround our death. And that since time doesn't exist in the spirit world, everybody goes through what I call the 12 phases of transition where we're surrounded by angels and deceased loved ones. And Clement said that part of my mission is to educate the world on that because people are so afraid of dying and are they going to fly? Are they going to fry in hell for eternity? 
Can you talk a little bit about that, about I've heard you say that all death is a form of suicide and that also piggybacking on that. Are there such things as a hell and evil spirits? We would say that all death is suicide in that you return to the non-physical when you are ready from a higher perspective. You may go kicking and screaming because from your limited human perspective, you say, I don't want to die only because of fear. And fear is always the illusion. Anything you fear is the illusion. Death is a grand fear, grand illusion. Loss is a grand fear, grand illusion. You cannot lose. You cannot die. You cannot be rejected. You cannot fail. You cannot make a mistake. All of these things are illusions based in fear. Without the fear, you would see clearly through the solution. Therefore, fear would represent what you would call hell on earth. Those living in great fear are living highly limited lives, conflicting with who they truly are. This is a wonderful experience. It's a necessary experience. It's a self-discovery experience. But while you're a human going through it, it's not going to feel very good. It's only a perception. So limitation is simply a perception. And then hell would simply be this perception of something bad or wrong, but there is no bad or wrong. It's not possible. Living a life in joy and freedom and abundance and on your journey of self-discovery and in service to the greater good would be what you would consider heaven. And so you compare your perception of reality to, to someone who's in great fears perception of reality, and you would see they were in intense emotional pain compared to where you are. In the non-physical, there's no fear. There's nothing to fear. You're eternal. So what would you fear in the non-physical? Your focus of attention is on perfection. Without the perception of imperfection, there could be nothing wrong or bad. It eliminates wrong or bad. There is no judgment because judgment is duality. Humans, because you've been taught this way, live in duality. Good, bad, right, wrong, better, worse. That duality creates heaven and hell. There is no heaven and hell. It's all neutrality. Neutrality is perfection and love is perfection. So everything that's created is based in love. How you perceive it is where you are on your mental construct. If you believe in an afterlife that is anything other than perfect, you are believing in a present life that's anything other than perfect. You could not believe in an afterlife that was imperfect if you realized this life is perfect. And if you realize this life is perfect, then you would also realize there's no separation between heaven and earth. Heaven is on earth now, just most people can't see it. Well, and the whole concept of go burn in a fiery pit for eternity, that whole thing, I believe, has been manufactured by people in power to control the masses with fear. And certainly we've come through this global pandemic in recent years, and we've all gotten a front row seat to how powerful controlling the masses with fear can actually be in our present day and age. And if we look back in history, we see since the beginning of time, that's how people have been controlled with fear. What, anything you have to say about that? The only way people can come to understand that they're the creators of reality is that they have to go through the fear because the fear 
in physical reality sets up the trajectory or the evolution towards love. If there was no fear in physical reality, it would just be like the non-physical and there'd be nothing to do, nothing to create, nothing to explore and no way to expand, no way to understand yourself. Fear then is an aspect of love. It's the flip of that coin. We must have fear as an experience to know ourselves. It would be impossible to know ourselves without fear. So everyone gets to explore fear until they realize that that is just not the way you want to do it, that it is an illusion. And if you look at everything that you fear, it's always an illusion. Well, the greatest fear, of course, is death. So as you saw people reacting to the virus, thinking it was bad, they dipped down into the consciousness of fear and brought up urges to change and control conditions. They needed a relief from the anxiety that they were feeling brought on by the fear of this virus that had potential to do harm. In essence, the virus was love, just like everything is love. In essence, the virus was perfect. In essence, those who needed the virus got the virus. Whether they tried to or not, they were brought together with the virus because the virus was necessary in their evolution. Trying to control it just brought up more fear. And so when governments reacted in fear, they imposed controls trying to control the fear, but the control was more fear. So all those who are buying into the fear, in any case, in any sense whatsoever, if you're perceiving the fear as, as a reality, as truth, what you're doing is perceiving an, an illusion as truth. And this furthers the illusion. It creates greater limiting beliefs. It creates greater separation. It creates manifestation of it. It creates chaos. Out of that chaos, though, comes more expressions of love that could not be created without that. So all of those experiencing chaos were having an experience and expanding through that. And from that, new creations were born. And this is an environment of creation. So you cannot not create. As an individual, do you want to opt into the illusion or do you want to stay on your inspired path and seek the truth? This is where the mass awakening is bringing millions and millions and millions of people. And all these little events that you see happening around the world, the slap, the June 6th riots, the war in Ukraine, every little thing, that's all adding to the movement towards more love. Well, and today when we're filming, the Supreme Court in the U.S. just said that it's returning power back to the states on the abortion issue. So that's a, a big thing that's in the news here in America, actually just was released a few hours ago. And that's part of the same equation. It's going to generate more creation, more clarity along freedom and love, more acceptance, more connection. But it, in fear, you won't be able to see it. It'll seem like a bad thing. It'll seem like a wrong thing. And you can protest and you can fight against, and that's fine if you want to explore that, but it's just going to bring up more fear. But if you had faith in this whole system, that everything is always working out, that everything is always moving forward from fear to love, that everything is getting better and better and better, and that you can opt into any approach to life you like. You can opt into the approach of fear and control, or you can give that up and you can say, what if I express love as my true intention? What if I experience true freedom and abundance as we defined? And what if I expand it in joy 
letting everyone else play with these things all they wanted to, would that bring me more joy or less joy? And we say, obviously, it would bring you more joy. I agree. I agree. All right. Prayer and meditation. Are they useful? Are they the same thing? Do they help us in our path? How do they work? When you meditate, you are simply quieting your mind. And what you're going to notice is that you have thoughts. The thoughts are always attracted. They're not manufactured in your brain. The thoughts can come and go. Thoughts are not good or bad. Thoughts are either high vibrational or low vibrational, but not good or bad. All thoughts are equal. When you're in meditation, you can notice a resistant thought. Not a bad thought, not a wrong thought, just resistance. And you can say, well, there must be some belief system here that's attracting that resistant thought, and you can let it go. And then you can notice a more aligned thought, a more joyful thought, and you can play with that. And when you realize that your thoughts are attracted based on your vibration and not manufactured, you can let them go. They're not your thoughts. You're just receiving them like a radio station tuned in, as you described before. When you set goals, when you wish things were better than they are, when you try to effort your struggle to yourself to an ideal that you haven't manufactured in mind, you're controlling your reality and all controls based in fear. So you're trying to manipulate your reality because you perceive that you lack something from your reality. And so you perceive yourself as a victim. When you pray, you can do it one of two ways. You can pray for something to benefit something. And this would be an expression of love. You can allow God to move through you or source to move through you and think of the most wonderful thing you can think of for someone else. This is the act of a creator. I don't need anything. I'm expressing love in this prayer for someone else. But if you're praying for something for you, asking God to give you something, you're perceiving yourself as a victim that you have no control over this, that you need something from your reality that you lack. And then that is just based in lack and fear. Simple as that. I remember as a kid being at football games and and my mother and my grandmother and all their friends were all saying the Hail Marys, you know, for the team to win. And they say, oh, you need to start praying. I mean, I remember being at college football games with people who were doing the same thing. And I thought, that's crazy. This is a this is for entertainment. You know, it doesn't really matter that much that it seemed to me like, why would we waste our requests on things like a football game. I thought that was interesting. Even as a child, I was the feeling that. analogy of a football game is perfect because each side is, an, is attached to an outcome. Right. And they believe that if their team wins, that will cause them to feel good. And if their team lose, that will make them feel bad. Therefore, they're not in any control over how they feel. That control has now been given to the outcome of the game. But how you feel is your choice. It has nothing to do with the conditions. It's always your choice. You're just simply reacting to things and thinking, oh, that person said something mean. Now that's why they made me feel bad. You're essentially giving the creation of your reality over to someone else, but that's not possible. You're just perceiving yourself as what we call a victim, someone who perceives the outside conditions and people can make them feel something. This is not true. If you didn't have a limiting belief about these conditions, 
you could not root for any team. What you would be doing for is rooting for the happiness of everyone on both teams and everyone in the stadium and everyone in the world. You would be rooting for a greater connection for everyone. You'd be rooting for someone to have a miraculous play on this side and someone to have another miraculous play on that side and for the teams to join in unison together and build friendships and lasting relationships, connection, connection, connection. But when you root for another team, You've seen this at football games. People get in fights because they're on the other team. That makes no sense. It makes no sense to those who are higher vibrational, but in the lower vibrations of the people who really need their team to win, fighting seems to make sense somehow. Well, carry this even further. If you think that because they changed the rules on abortion at the Supreme Court level, that one side is hurting another side, you're playing your part as a victim. If you see it as these different ideas are sorting themselves out for the greater good of the entire country and possibly planet, that everything will sort itself up, that it will cause ripples of change within the entire structure of government of who's going to vote now and who's going to come forward, be inspired to come forward as a candidate. Because of this situation, you can see it's everything's always moving to love. What you have to see is how any form of separation is based in fear. I agree. What, why do people get sick? There's several different aspects to this. Primarily is resistance built up in the body. But resistance could be built up in the body through trauma or painful emotions that are not processed. And once someone gets to a higher vibration, that can be released. And oftentimes when people raise their vibration, they will have experiences of flu-like symptoms or catching colds or sprained ankles or broken arms or these sort of things. It's all a way for the body to release stored trauma. On other situations, people are in resistance, in resistance, in resistance, fighting against, fighting against, fighting against, will not alter their limiting beliefs, are ignoring the manifestation events that are coming to them, are ignoring the resistant thought, will not change, and then something chronic comes into the body. This chronic issue is designed to show them their resistance. This is the resistant thought is designed to show them the resistance. The manifestation event, the car crash, the loss of job, the divorce, all designed to show that, that the person has limiting beliefs and are in resistance to the perfect, perfect life they're living. They're not on their path. They're not on their inspired journey towards self-discovery. So the body is the universe's or the source's last resort because you cannot ignore the body. Now, people will want to have operations or have surgeries or have take pills to fix the symptoms that are going on, but nothing will change unless the underlying resistance. Now, oftentimes, people will change their entire lives when something happens. And this will lead just like Gary losing everything will leave them on a path towards self-discovery. And sometimes people get illnesses as their method of transitioning to the non-physical. They want time to say goodbye. They want their loved ones to feel okay when they transition. So they go through these long, painful illnesses. So when the person does eventually transition to the non-physical, everyone will say, she's better off or he's better off. 
And along those lines, what about when people die instantly, like in the case of a suicide or a homicide, or uh, you'll hear, well, he dropped out of a heart attack. But what what's the difference there? Somebody's just using that vehicle, is my understanding, to transition. In an exciting way. In, in a big, ex- in a big splash. Yeah. Making waves. Dying young, the best thing you could do. Everyone's going to notice. Everyone's going to feel bad. Quickly, best way you can die. Why would you want to drag out the transition experience if you could just go out with a bang? Because you have limiting beliefs and you have this idea that it's respectable to go out in certain ways and disrespectable to go out in other ways. You want, from your limited perspective, to have everyone mourn over you and to have everyone miss you and all these things. But for the non-physical, once you leave that body, you do not care. You do not care about that body. That was just your earth suit to move around in. And what you do care about is everyone else who's left, everyone else who's roaming around on earth, trying to figure out their journey of self-discovery. And so you become a guide, a supporter, of everyone you love. And when they return to the physical, they're going to be surprised to see you because they're going to say, oh my God, I thought you were just my dad, but we've been friends eternally. Well, I think of Princess Diana, the way that she went out and what, 34, eternally 34 and beautiful and fabulous and all of that. And, and that makes sense that she chose to go out that way. And my gosh, the impact that she's had even more so perhaps in her death than she did when she was alive. Can you see the perfection of that life from beginning to end coming in with an intention to spread love and joy, to lift people up and to allow everyone to rethink their lifetimes. In those many years, what she accomplished in love seems almost unreal, but was the perfect life for the beginning of the awakening of the masses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Catalyst. I look at it that way as well. I remember where I was when we got the information. We were at the U.S. Open in New York, and we were watching Saturday Night Live, and we, we thought it was a skit on Saturday Night Live and then stayed up all night watching all the news reports and everything of the horror in in Paris. So that parlays into just a couple more questions. That parlays into reincarnation. My experience has been that we live many, many, many lifetimes when I do a past life scan, it's so much fun because oftentimes we can get information that can be validated with historic documents that we can access online or, or in other ways. And, and I always laugh and I always say, we can't make this stuff up, but it's fascinating how we can corroborate the information that comes in. So can you speak on past lives for a little bit, please? If you realize that physical reality is nothing but a platform of self-discovery, you will notice that a normal human life, say 80 years, there are certain times that you live in, certain technologies that are there, certain experiences that can only be had at certain times. 
And if you look at the grand progression of a journey of self-discovery from not knowing who you are, living in the illusion, in fear, to discovering who you are, living in love and joy and neutrality, you want to come in and you want to have all these experiences, as many experiences as you can, because every experience is expansive. And so one life would not serve the purpose of self-discovery. Many, 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 many lives, maybe two, maybe a hundred, maybe a thousand, whatever it is. Now you can choose to come in and we want to say from the perspective of you and of everyone listening, when you exist in the non-physical, you cannot wait to get back here. This is where you want to be. You will know it so obviously. You'll set up a cool new life. You'll choose a bunch of attributes. You'll choose to people to come in with. And it's like going to Disneyland. Going to Disneyland, you bring your friends, you bring your relatives, you decide what rides you want to ride, what you want to be doing there, and you get to go and do that. And then when you're done, it's eight o'clock at night, you say, okay, let's go home and we'll do it again next year. Well, in the non-physical, as soon as you return to the non-physical, there's no time. There's no time at all. You're not doing anything. You come back down. So for you, from your non-physical perspective, it was half an hour in the non-physical, but it could have been a hundred years between lives because there is no time in the non-physical. So you might think, oh, I can't wait to get to the non-physical and live in joy and ease. What are you going to be doing? What's there to do? Your focus will be back here anyway. Now, when you come back in a physical life, you're still in the non-physical as well. So your inner self then is moving with everyone who's in, in physical reality. You are all places at all times, but your human perspective is not as aware or is not as easy to remember who you are. You're on a journey of remembering. So the more you start remembering, the more connection that you have with your non-physical inner self, then your empathic abilities come online. Then you do what you're doing or you're a medium, or you're an energy healer, or you're get into Reiki, or whatever it is. You're empathic, but you can feel other people, you can hear other people, you can telepathically communicate with other people, you can do all these other things because you've risen your vibration, these new tools and abilities come online. So this brings us to this idea of who's on earth now? Why would you be here now? Because never before in history has been as available to understand for the first time who you truly are. And who you truly are is source. Who you truly are is love. And you've been operating under a false premise of imperfection. Who you truly are is perfect. And with that, we are complete. Wow. Wonderful. Thank you so much for that. That was that was just terrific. Both that was my pleasure. Joshua and, and especially you too, Gary, and thank you for being willing to to share all of this with the world and all of the efforts that you go through. And and I no effort I wa- anymore. Well, it's I all know ease and joy. It yeah, really but is. There, but there's some there. You have to take action and you have to do some things to put. Well, things I have to push past fear. And, yeah, to do what I'm inspired to do, but I don't right. have to effort and struggle anymore. Right. I don't have any resistance anymore. Right. And. Right. And the little things I am resistant about, I just know it's a limiting belief that I get to work on and get to process that. Exactly. Yeah. How can people learn more about you? Well, the best way is to 
listen to the podcast, which is Joshua Live. So you can find that anywhere you anywhere you have podcasts. And then you can go to the website at theteachingsofjoshua.com or just Google me, Gary Temple Bodley. And Gary's podcast is truly one of my faves. I listen to it religiously and I love it. And I believe you guys will too. So thank you so much for taking the time to join us and everybody listening and watching, sending you lots of love from sweet home, Alabama and from North Carolina where Gary is. And I'll be back next week with a regular show, regular call-in show. So thanks for joining us. See you soon. Bye everybody. Be sure to follow Julie on Instagram and YouTube at Ask Julie Ryan and like her on Facebook at Ask Julie Ryan. To schedule an appointment or submit a question, please visit AskJulieRyan.com. This show is for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be medical, psychological, financial, or legal advice. Please contact a licensed professional. The Ask Julie Ryan Show, Julie Ryan and all parties involved in producing, recording, and distributing it assume no responsibility for listeners' actions based on any information heard on this or any Ask Julie Ryan shows or podcasts.